declare it to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word that you remind us of. Thank you for what you reveal your heart to us. Thank you for this time as your people are able to gather together today to be reminded to hear from you and to learn what it means to obey all that you have commanded. So may this not just be filling our heads with information, may not just give us a new to-do list with our hands, but may this fill our hearts in worship of you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I want you to ask yourself the question, and I'm going to actually, I want to hear some fun responses. What is something that you have learned in the past that you no longer remember? Now, if you have children, you have a lot. There used to be an old show called Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Anybody remember that show? It's like, oh, yeah, I'm smarter than a fifth grader. No, we're not. Uh, nope, not anymore. I used to know all that, but I no longer do. So for you, what is something that you used to know, but you no longer remember? All the state capitals. All the state capitals. That's a good one. Yeah, that's good. Uh, hopefully, you know, Washington, right? It's Olympia. Just in case it's not Seattle. What else? What have you once learned that you no longer remember? Most of what you're teaching your son in homeschooling. That's accurate. Yes. Like, I used to know this. Well, at least I learned it for that 30 seconds that I needed to do the test. Because I didn't really know it. Like, I had it in my brain, in my short-term memory block, and then I was able to check a box in multiple choice. And then what happened with that information? Out the window. Kind of knew it, but not really knew it. What else? How to read music. Yeah. What is the, what is the, the staff? What is that? Every good boy does fine, right? There you are. See, remember that? We've got some little jingle to it. Any, one more. What else? The Our Father in Spanish. Is that the Lord's Prayer? Okay, the Lord's Prayer in Spanish. I like that because I never knew that. Like, I, there's lots of things that, like, I can't remember what I did not first learn. Right? I, I can't recall things from my memory, the things that were not first in there. Where we are in this passage... We are um, in the middle of the Last Supper. This, if you uh, have a memory of arts, this is what uh, da Vinci depicts in his famous painting, The Last Supper. This is the time when Jesus is with his uh, closest disciples. Now there's 11 of them because Judas has left. And because this is his last meal, he knows it's his last meal. The weight of what he's saying to them is a little bit more. There's a little bit more importance to what he's saying. It's like, okay, I have one last thing that I want to tell you. And it's in these chapters of John 13 to 17 that we hear them. And so this passage is right in the middle of that. He's giving his last words. He's giving his last thoughts that he wants to make sure that they recall after he leaves. And this is about the spirit. We hear in this passage, he's called the spirit of truth. 
A few weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 14. And in that uh, sermon, we really focused on who the uh, Spirit is. I mean, we, we looked at the idea of the Trinity, this idea that God um, has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are fully and equally God. This is... This, we, we talked about how St. Nicholas, yes, the St. Nicholas, this was so important to him, he was willing to punch people in the face to make sure that they got this, okay? Like this, that was so important to him. So we have the, this idea of who the Spirit is. This is God the Spirit, just like God the Father and God the Son. It's who. We talked about where he was. Now the Spirit, according to John 14 and 16, is in us within us, just like the Spirit filled the temple of the Old Testament. Now the New Testament church, us, the people of God, are where the Spirit is. But today, we're going to ask the question, what does the Spirit do? Great, it's one thing to know who. It's good to know where. But what is the work of the Spirit And what does that mean for you and I in the midst of making disciples in everyday life? Now, Jesus makes this preposterous claim in the middle of this passage in uh, verse, uh, he doesn't say, he says this in verse four, but he also says that verse seven, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So this is so important for Jesus that he's willing to step aside so that the spirit can take front and center stage. Don't miss this. It's, we like to talk about, man, I wish Jesus was right here. I can know what he's speaking to us. And what Jesus is saying is actually, it's good that I'm not here because I'm now here by my spirit. And so as we dive into what he does, it's really important to keep that in mind. Because we're not just talking about this, oh man, the dream of what it was like to be these 11 disciples. What we have, according to Jesus, is that the spirit being with us and doing what he does is actually better than what Jesus did on this earth. So what is it that he does? I want to I'll pay, draw attention to verse 3 through 5, and I'll focus on verse 4. And this is one thing that he does. He says, I have said these things to you, that when the, their hour comes, you may remember that I have t- told them to you. The first thing the Spirit does is specifically to the church. And the first thing the Spirit does, he reminds the church. He reminds the church of what Jesus has said. Jesus three times in uh, verse chapters 14 through 16 has said the Spirit's job is to remind. In uh, chapter 14, verse 26, in 15, 26, and here in 16, 4. So the Spirit of truth, what it says in verse 13, is the job of the Spirit is to remind the disciples what Jesus has already said. Now, I've said this already, but I want you to remember this. You cannot remember what you do not already know. Think of these 11 disciples. You have Peter, you have Bartholomew, you have um, James, you have all these guys that have been following him around. You think of these 11 disciples that have been walking with him in the midst of Israel. 
And they were probably taught a lot more than we have recorded in the scriptures. Like they, they, every day Jesus was teaching and showing them and revealing the nature of God to them. There is a lot that Jesus told these guys. And so when you think of these 11, you're like, okay, great. They had a lot to remember. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, many of these 11 go on to be the writers of scripture. They go on to take these thoughts. Matthew, the tax collector, we have a whole gospel account that's his recalling, remembering of it. Mark is uh, historically known as Peter's account. John, who we're looking at here, was the one that was closest to Jesus in the story. And so these guys went on to write scripture. So for us, we could be like, man, I wish I was there with Jesus because I wanted to know what he said. Guess what? It's recorded what he said. We know what he said. We just have to open up the Bible and look at it. I mean, 2 Timothy tells us all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God, fueled with the very life of God, and it's beneficial for us. And so what does Jesus now by his spirit remind us of? The scriptures, the word of God. This morning, we were, um, as we were getting uh, ready and we were praying, we're, we're, we did a practice that we're going to do in a moment. And it was just asking the Spirit to speak to us and see if there's anything that was beneficial for us in that moment. And as we were doing it, uh, different people had different ideas and thoughts, and it was glorious. And one person said something that reminded another person of a song. Now, this song was like 25 years old. I mean, we, uh, Darian, of, of course, was the one that thought of the song. Not, su- not surprising. And it was, yeah, I'm aging you because we're old now. My knee hurts. I'm just waking up with knee problems. I don't know. I'm old now. And so all of a sudden, she just, this song came to mind. And we started singing Refiner's Fire. Anybody remember that song? Yeah, yeah. Like Some of you may have a little PTSD from hearing that song. Some of you may be encouraged by that song. I don't know where you're at. But we started singing this song that, what, 25 years old, that we used to sing all the time as a kid. Darian would not have been able to remember the, or be reminded of that song if she did not already have that song in her heart. There was no way that Judah, my 13-year-old, would have thought, man, we should really sing Refiner's Fire right now. Why? He never heard that song before. There's nothing to remind him of. There's no memory bank to go into to bring it back to the presence. If the Spirit inspires the Word of God, if the Spirit inspired what was written by these men to give to us He's going to use it to and remind us of that, right? He's going to speak the words that he's already spoken. He's going to bring to remembrance. But we can't be reminded if the word of God is not already in our minds and hearts. We can't, we're not going to hear the voice of God if we're not listening to the word of God. We're not consuming it. We're not listening to it. We're not reading it. We're not sitting underneath the teaching of it. 
Does your love for the scriptures reveal your love for the, the author of the scriptures? When you think about the remembrance, the, the learning of it, the, the wanting to understand it. Because here's the thing. We live in this amazing day right now where we have unbelievable access to the scriptures like never before. I mean, hundreds of years ago, it was only written in a language that it was read to the people and they didn't know what was being read. It was in Latin. They didn't speak Latin. And they just sat there being like, I don't know what he's saying, but I'm just going about this duty because I'm supposed to do it. And you and I, I can go on my phone and I have access to dozens, dozens of translations. I can open up my phone right now and there's apps that I can actually study on my phone the different Greek words and the Hebrew words and I, you can nerd out on the Bible because we have unbelievable access to the scriptures. So for us in our day, our love for the scriptures is not accessibility. It's not because I don't have I don't know where to go. I don't, I don't have the wealth available to me. For many of us, it's a question of our hearts. Do, do we want to? Now, trust me, we are, uh, as a missional community, we are doing a, a read-through. We're a, a, few, a little bit of a ways in already, but we got to that dreaded point in February. If you've ever started a chronological read-through of the Bible in January, you get to that dreaded point in February where you get to the book of Leviticus. And if you don't know what the book of Leviticus is, the book of Leviticus is an Old Testament book, part of the first five books of what we call the books of Moses, that talks about all these rules and rituals and regulation and sacrifices. And there's just blood being splattered all over the place. And you're like, what in the world am I reading right now? It's like, this looks like it's, this is an, a foreign world. Well, it is. We don't do sacrifices. I mean, as somebody who has a, somewhat of a priestly role in the family of God, I'm very thankful that we're not doing the things that they did back then. <laughs> Just for the record, not a butcher. Don't want to go ahead and be taking out the fatty lobes of cows. Not my thing. It's in there if you want to learn how to do it. Not my desire. And so we, we get to it and sometimes we're like, oh, this is hard and we get stuck. And guess what? It is hard sometimes. So it's not like, man, I, I want to, but I get to it and you're like, I have no idea what that means. Like, what does that have to do with me? Like, we're looking at, say you get to the historical books and you talk about Samuel and it's talking about all his wives and concubines. And you're like, is that for me? Is that telling me I'm supposed to go get multiple wives and concubines? No. For the record. But sometimes it can be difficult, right? We, we get to it. We want to know it. But we get stuck. And guess what? That's normal. That's okay. That's what it means to be human. It's not like I don't read the scripture so I don't love God. That's not what I'm saying here. But the question for you in this moment is, is that heart of love causing you to persevere through when you get stuck? 
to, to still get into the word, to know the scriptures, to memorize them, to sing them. It's one of the reasons why I asked Darianne to sing that song, King of Kings, this morning. Because oftentimes the spirit rem- reminds us in songs. I don't know if you've just been throughout the week and all of a sudden you just start singing a song that you heard in the last couple days. One of the, why I wanted her to sing that song, because that song is not only catchy, it's not only Trinitarian, but it's theologically rich. It's good news. It's laid out in singing form. Sometimes we just need to sing the scriptures because it gets in our hearts deeper. But the spirit can't remind us of what's not already in there. So is the word of God in your heart? Have you, like the psalmist, hidden the word in your heart so that you might not sin against him? And then uh, one more thing on this, parents. How are you getting God's word in the heart of your children? Because here's the thing. As you get older, your heart and your mind that once was sponge starts to harden and become like stone. And that's not because you have a hardened heart. It's because it doesn't work as well. Right? Like your memory bank fills up. It's like your, your head is a storage bank. Your memory can only handle so much. And you get to a point in life where it's just filled up. It's not, your, it's not your fault. Just filled up. So things that you heard start to kind of fall out because it didn't have a place to go. But your kids are not there yet, parents. So what are you doing to help them hear the word? Do you have an age-appropriate Bible for your kids? One of the best things we did for our kids is they, had each, they got a Jesus storybook Bible when they were babies and they were young. And we read that, read that, read that, so they got the story. As they got to later elementary, we gave them the Action Bible, which was glorious. It's like a graphic novel for the Bible. Our kids love that. Now, our oldest is in something where he's memorizing whole books of the Bible. He's memorized more scripture than I have at this point. He's 13. Not because, and this is not bragging. Please don't hear that. This is because we have a cousin who's like, hey, he should do this. He should do this. And we're like, he's got to do something. Might as well. And so we send him. And and so we put him in the environment. And we're like, oh, he's got all of 1st and 2nd Timothy memorized now. And he's working on Thessalonians. Nuts. But it would take me 10 times longer because I'm not, I just can't do that anymore. So parents, If the spirit reminds the church about the truth revealed in scripture, are we putting scripture in the hearts of our kids? Are you putting scripture in your own heart so that when you ask spirit, what do you want to say to me? He actually has something to draw you to because you already have the word of God. So that's the first thing. The spirit reminds the church. But secondly, we see this in verses 12 through 15. The spirit reveals to the church. He reveals to the church. Let me read this. Verse 12. I have said many things. Oh, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he cannot speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak And he will declare to you the things that are to come. The question for us is, Jesus is speaking to these 11 disciples and he says, hey, I have more things to say to you. 
I've been with you three years, but there's more to come. I want to reveal more than what I've been able to in the last three and a half years. The question is, does the Spirit of God still do that today? I'm going to venture into some dangerous territory for a moment. So I need you to stay with me. Because the idea that the Spirit can still reveal truth is a very scary thing for some people. Some of you are like, what do you mean? Like, we already have the scriptures. Why would he still reveal truth? So let's look at this from an interpretation. How do we understand this passage for a moment? Because the people that would argue that the spirit no longer does this, that the spirit doesn't move beyond, would argue that this specific passage is only for the 11 disciples that are present. So he's saying, hey, these 11 guys, this is what I'm saying. And then once they get scripture, that revelation no longer continues. My argument against that would be, can you take that, those same principles and apply that to the rest of the passage? Does the spirit only abide in these 11 and it's no longer for the rest of the church? And I think we would all say the answer is no, right? He's speaking something to them that we would say has universal principles. Is there anything in this passage that tells us that this has stopped within the text? The answer is no, there's not. So the idea is that the spirit is still revealing things to his people for the moment that they are in. Sometimes it's foretelling, sometimes it's reminding, and sometimes it's to bring something to life. Because remember what the uh, author of Hebrews says. The, he says that the uh, word of God is living, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's alive. It's filled with the Spirit of God who activates it and reveals in our hearts the things that we need in the moment at the time. So the fear is that if we think the Spirit still speaks to the church, I've seen people on social media that take that and they go, it's dangerous. Like forecasting who's go like. Proclaiming and prophesying who won elections. And so it's like, well, if the spirit reveals and I see that like this, I want to do everything I can to stay away from that dangerous way of living. Right. If the spirit reveals things to the church and it looks like that. Mm -mm, I'm just going to go all the way to the other end and not seek that new uh, God revealing something to us in the moment. It's, it's fear in opposition to something as opposed to, no, 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 let's just go to the scriptures. Does the spirit of God reveal stuff to us? Yes. But it does not go beyond what he's already revealed in the scriptures. Don't miss that. He is the spirit of truth. And the Spirit will reveal truth to us. What did Jesus just say? Where is truth found? Jesus is the way, the truth, 
and the life. So when he's revealing truth to us, what is he revealing? Jesus. And where do we find Jesus? In the Word of God. Who is the Word of God? Jesus himself. So we, can't, we don't need to be afraid. God, I want to hear from you right now. I want you to reveal something. I want you to speak to me. We don't have to be afraid of going that far because we can be grounded in the gospel as his people. So if the Spirit reveals, if he is speaking to us, how do we as God's people know if it's him versus if it's my ideas? In my language, how do I know if it's Jesus or if it's Justin? If I have a thought pop into my mind and I'm in prayer, how do I know if that's the spirit revealing something or if it's just me? Let me set the stage for this for a moment. I think this is of utmost importance to the people of God who live on mission. Utmost importance. Here's why. If Because we encounter as disciple makers, as people who are encountering the lost, there are things that are absolutely beyond us at times. Where you encounter situations or you, you are interacting with an individual and you're like, I don't know the answer to this. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay. Like somebody asks you a question. I don't know. But if you look to the book of Acts and you see the movement of, of the church, one of the foundation pieces is the leading and empowerment of the spirit. It may be that we as not only a local church Soma, but the church in America and beyond, we're not experiencing the movement that the spirit does is because we haven't learned to listen to the spirit in the way that he speaks. utmost importance. Not only do we need to be founded and grounded in the gospel, but we need to be empowered and led by the Spirit. We need to hear Him in everyday life. So, how do we discern? How do we know if it's Jesus or Justin, or if it's inspired moments of revelation, or if it's the pizza that I had last night, and it's, it's kind of making me, I have a little bit of carb coma. How do I know? I'm glad you asked. A few things. How do we know? The first thing is these are filters to discern the voice of the Spirit. First, does it glorify Jesus? Does it glorify Jesus? In verse um, 14, the Spirit, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The first thing, if, you, if you're listening and you're praying and you're asking, Spirit, you want, what do you want to say to me? The first question is, does this glorify Jesus? Does this make much of Jesus? Is Jesus the hero of this? It's very easy for us to become the hero in this moment. But no, no, the Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus. So first, does it glorify Jesus? The second filter is, does it align with Scripture? Does this align with Scripture? What Jesus reveals now is never disconnected from what he's already revealed in Scripture. There's those moments when people, and I've, I've heard this one, it's like, I feel like God's telling me to divorce my wife. 
I'm pretty sure that's not the spirit. Just throwing that out there. Probably not. I heard a story this week even. Somebody was uh, processing through with another individual. And they were in a, a wrestling with a lot of things in their own faith. And at one point in the conversation they said, it feels like the spirit's just calling me to disconnect from Jesus. Now run what you just heard through those first two filters. Does that statement glorify Jesus? Disconnect from Jesus? No, that doesn't glorify Jesus. That makes less of him, not more of him. Does that align with the scriptures? No. You see what, I'm, what we're trying to do? You hear something, does it filter through these things? So does it align with scripture? God's already revealed himself in his word. He's not going to go beyond what that is. The third question, is it a fresh thought? Sometimes we have our own thoughts that we're like, God, I want this. And then we say, God wants what I want. So that must be the spirit. And so one of the filters is, was this kind of fresh out of nowhere? Was it something that was kind of new? That's an indication. Now, keep in mind, this is not the only indicator or the only filter. If this is your only filter, like you're praying and you have a fresh thought come to mind, that must be the spirit. You're going to go awry. It's got to be glorifying Jesus, grounded in the scripture. It does have a fresh thought. The fourth filter, what fruit does it produce? What fruit does it produce? Galatians tells us that the fruit of the spirit, what it means to be led by the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're in prayer and you're hearing what you believe to be from the spirit, does it produce the fruit of the spirit in your life? Does it produce love for others more? Or does it ostracize and make them an other? may not be the spirit that may be pizza last night does it produce a calmness a peace a gentleness for the other that's likely the work of the spirit in your life because the spirit will produce the fruit of the spirit and then lastly i think this is an often missed one the last one is can my can my community affirm this can my community affirm this? If you're hearing something from the Spirit, you're sensing the Lord leading you in something, and you're unwilling to share it with your community, that causes me concern. If I'm praying and I'm asking God to share something with me, I should be able to take this and say, hey, DNA group, hey, missional communities, hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm feeling the Lord's working in this. Can you pray with me and help me discern if this is the spirit? Because what does John say? Not that John, the Bible John. First John says, test the spirits. Test them. Run them through the filters. Make sure this is accurate. Because it's important to do that. Discern the voice. And community is vital in the discernment process. So I think when we're making decisions as individuals, we, my wife and I, have made some terrible mistakes in our life. 
One of them was in the purchasing of a house in 2008 at 9.5% interest rate. You all look at me like, what were you thinking? Well, everybody did it and you would just refi in a year, buy a second house and rent out the smaller one and keep the bigger one. Sounded like a good idea, but we, we never ran that idea through anybody else. We never like, hey, what do you guys think about this? Hey, moms and dads in the faith who are wise and have made your own mistakes. Do you think that this may be where the spirit is leading us? We just, we individualized it. We did it ourselves and we went about doing it. Guess what? Not a good decision. We recovered by God's grace, but how many of the mistakes in our lives could have gone other directions if we just listened to wisdom from those that have gone before us. So many, right? Now add the spiritual component to this. How much mistakes would we avert if we just said, hey, I feel like God's leading me in this. What do you think about this? Job changes. I feel like that God's leading me here. Great, bring it to community and pray about it. Think about it, wrestle with it, test to see if that's actually the spirit or not. It very, mel- uh, it very mel- well may be, excuse me, but it, not automatically. Test it, wrestle with it in community. We're so individualized. We so think of only ourselves. We so think if God gave it to me, then, then it obviously must be right. But guess what? If he's going to give it to me, he's probably going to be wise and give it to us as well. He's going to be able to affirm it so that we can discern what he's doing. So if we're, the Spirit's job is to reveal to the church, personalize the scriptures, lead us, guide us, we have to ask, does it glorify Jesus? Does it align with the scripture? Is it a fresh thought? What fruit does it produce? And then lastly, can my community affirm this? Just real quick, these are the things that we're trying to learn and wrestle with on our nights of seek first. Our nights of prayer, our nights of learning, a lights, a nights of learning to be led in, by the Spirit, to hear God's voice and do what he says. It's why we want to do those practices. It's why in silence, in solitude, oftentimes we can't hear what God is saying to us by the Spirit. It's because our minds and our ears are so full of other stuff. That we're not willing to just sit and ask. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice this for a moment. We're not just going to talk about it. I want to actually do this. We're going to take two minutes in silence. We're just going to listen. And just say, Father, is there anything you want to share to me? Anything you want to say? Anything you want to reveal to me right now? And just pay attention. Listen, hear. You may have a picture that comes to your mind. You may have a a sensation, a bodily sensation even, or even within your heart that you need to discern. So we're just going to take two minutes and we're just going to be literally in silence. Maybe awkward for some. may feel like an eternity, but that's okay. But we're just going to practice this and try this right now. So, Father, is there anything you want to share? You just want to listen. If we're going to be a people that see the works of God in our midst, 
We better be led by the God who does the work. We can't miss that. This is the fuel. This is the fanning of the flame. The gift that God has given, as it says in Timothy. And so the church, the spirit does remind the church. I don't know if any of you had thoughts of scripture come to mind or songs that reminded you of scripture. That's, that's good. The spirit reminds, the spirit reveals. And lastly, and I'll do this just in a moment for a moment. The spirit, this, those first two are for the church. But he also is very clear that he also does something for the world. Those that are outside of faith. In verses 8 through 11, it says that the spirit convicts the world. And when he comes, verse 8, he will come, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. There's a lot of uh, theological wrestling with what the word convict means. Something it means convince, some things it means force. But the idea of convict, and specifically the world, those outside of the professing faith community, is around three specific things. Briefly, the first is sin. The idea in our day that there is sin is almost a sin in and of itself. To call something sin is a sin in the eyes of the world. How dare you say that's sin? It may be um, a flaw, or it may be a slip-up, it may be a deficiency, but... Scripture is clear. There is sin. And if sin is rebellion, sin is also a parasite that attaches to good and deforms it. It's, it's distractions. There's lots of things that we can capture sin. But we, the, the Spirit's job is to convict the world that there is sin. Also that there's righteousness. Not just that there's wrong things, but there's right things. If righteousness is right standing and right living... The Spirit's job is to show the world that there is a way to rightly live according to God and rightly believe and have a standing before him. And it's according to judgment. The idea that a day is coming when every single one of us will be judged not only by what we did, but by every careless word we said. For somebody that stands up and talks for a living, that's a terrifying thought. You're telling me every single thought, every single action, every single word will have to be, go through a judgment by God. Huh? But God, who is rich in mercy... But it is by grace that you have been saved. This is where the gospel is so beautiful. And this is, that, this is what does not make the church better or beyond this. In that we remember that while we were yet sinners, while we were unrighteous, while we were under judgment and children of wrath, Christ died for us. It's a reminder that the only thing that makes me not still under judgment is that Jesus took on the judgment for me on the cross. You see, you see we sometimes think that it's the church's job to convict the world. 
Sometimes it's, we think it's, hey, the, the culture is bad and they're doing this and we're going to remind them and put a mirror in front of them and we're going to just be a warrior for these causes and make sure that the world understands it. But what's, whose job is it to convict? It's the Spirit's job to convict. It's not the church's. What's the church's job? Live as a colony. Live as a people that live according to God. Live not in judgment, not in unrighteousness, not in sin. Show the world what true north looks like. And when the world doesn't live according to true north, the way that the world is supposed to be, the way according to God and under his protection, when they don't live according to that, it's the Spirit's job to point it out, not ours. Our job is to be a colony of the kingdom, to show what the rule and reign of God looks like, what gentleness and love and care and truth is. We embody that as God's people. That's our job. The Spirit's job is to convict others when they don't do that. So if we profess truth, we share the gospel, we reveal love, we say there's sin, we say there's judgment, but it's not our job to say, and you're a sinner, so you're condemned. That's the Spirit's job. There's already enough guilt and shame in our society. All we need to do is just reveal love and truth. We need to live according to the ways of God and the world as they live in relationship with us. The spirit's job is to convict the world of those things. We get to be love and truth and grace. We because are the ones that were under judgment and were unrighteous and still in sin. But in the gospel we have been set free from those very things. Ah, does the Spirit still convict the church? Yes. This passage is specifically speaking to the world, though. So how do I interact with this? I can say, thanks be to God, because I was in sin. But now, because Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, and we might become the what? Righteousness of God. We who were under judgment as children of wrath. Who took the judgment? Jesus. Jesus took the judgment. He paid the penalty on the cross. He's the one that knew that we were dead in our sins. So what did he do? He died. What, he knew that we were not right standing and right living with God. So what did he do? He took on our unrighteousness and gave us his righteousness. It's a great exchange. So we can now be a people of love and grace and peace and truth. A colony of heaven in the midst of a world that's broken. But we do it to be rem as reminders that we were once there. But thanks be to God, we have now been set free from that. And that is why we go to the table. We go to the table as a reminder of this. We are easily forgetful people. I go to the, we go to the table weekly to remember that Jesus' body was broken for you. That his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. What's the separate separation between, quote, the world and, quote, the church? It's belief in Jesus. It's not our actions. It's not what we do. 
We live because of what he's already done for us. We, so we go to the table remind, needing to be reminded of God's grace and peace and love given to us.